What's going on everybody? This is Andy Morales and welcome to a new edition of Unraveled Influence. This is the first episode of season 8 as we are in the hiatus right now. But of course, like we promised, we will have some pre-recorded episodes and my guest right now is David Gunton. Brother, how are you? Andy, I'm well. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for the invite and for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So how are you? Like, how, how are things with you? Busy, busy, busy. Um, you know, uh, I have a day job that keeps me pretty well occupied and uh, three kiddos at home and uh, a little poetry in there somewhere. So never a dull moment, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, same here. Just, you know, making the day work, you know. So yes, good. That's what it is. So I guess we'll start with this question. Um, so how did poetry begin for you? Yeah, you know, it's it's probably not uh, the most unique origin story, but um, somewhere in there around between high school going into college, I found my way to a copy of On the Road. And, you know, it was like nothing I ever read before and just loved it. And I don't think I was even interested or picked it up because I was interested in writing so much of the time as I, as I was traveled. Um, I hadn't traveled a lot at that point in my life, but love the book. Um, that was a gateway, I think, to the beat poets. Mm. Um, really loved that writing and that poetry. And it, it opened up a whole new world for me about you know what writing can be like, um, just the idea of a life as an artist or a life that includes art you know, as part of your life. And um, I think that was the that was the start. Awesome. And I know you mentioned um, beat poets, and I do think about like Allen Ginsberg as such, for example. Um, what is it about that type of poetry that fascinated you? I think it was just so different than anything I had been exposed to before, you know, either in school or outside of school. I had a pretty sheltered suburban kind of life uh growing up as a kid um and no complaints about that but um you know, really hadn't been exposed to a lot that was countercultural, i guess you would say okay so you know in stumbling upon um howl in america and all this incredible poetry by ginsburg and gregory corso and gary snyder uh it was just so new and and it really it set me on a new path and you know, it's, and I found other forms of poetry after that. And honestly, it's not the poetry I so much read or respond to today, but I still love it. And it was, it's definitely how I got started. Yeah, you know, it, um, Allen Ginsberg and those people back in the day, they were very different from that time period. Because I know this was, if I'm not mistaken, I believe this was post-war time. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting because yeah. I know that that was the time where like, I believe that was the silent generation. And it yeah. like certain awareness wasn't even a thing. And I yes. know with that time, um, they were more like, no way, but why are we still living this way? Why are we still doing this? No, shouldn't we explore more different ideas? You know, and I think that's what fascinated about me, the fact that they were, uh, like you said, countercultural. Like they were, uh, it's like they were going against the grain, if that makes sense, to the totally. point. Yeah. And I think that's what fascinated me personally, because it was so different, you know, and I think that's what um, was the bridge to the hippies era on top of that which really 
created this whole landscape for you know what we look back on today so i'm definitely for sure um i think what i like about poetry too is that poetry could take you to so many directions and it's like you look back and even though it feels like it's from outside but it's really not from outside it's from within but you look and be like wow i didn't think i could expand my mind that way um so when you talk about your poetry how is your mindset when you're writing how's the process look like what goes through your mind when you're writing a piece yeah it um you know i wish i could say i had a great routine <laughs> or process mm. or that i was or i had the discipline to you know find that hour or two hours or 10 minutes or <laughs> whatever <Right. laughs> every, every day but i don't I completely fail at that and you know part of that is a life is full and that's great and and i'm not complaining about that but it's it is a challenge to find those um odd moments you know where you can try to tap into that that creative juice uh inside and um so i think it's being responsive to that and being open to that and um trying to find a little balance so you can you can take your head in that direction um and so yeah, I don't know what's going on in that moment, you know, when it's, it feels like, hey, I got an idea for a poem or I need, I need to take five minutes now and, and, and write something down. But um, I think, I guess it starts with some belief in its importance and its power uh, and having that sort of commitment to it on a gut level, I think, and then, and then being open to the moments. Ah, awesome, awesome. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I love that. So I, I did want to talk about um, your book, um, Notable Moons. Um, I love the design on this as well. And I wanted to ask you, like, how'd you come up with the name? How did the concept art came about? Like, what, what, like how did it, tell me about this. No, it's cool. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so one of, the, one of the poems in the collection is called Notable Moons. And I think it was, to me, a, sort of like a half joke because... You, know, you read from time to time, and it feels like almost every month or so, there's something in the newspaper or online about, oh, there's this, there's a blue moon tonight, there's a super moon, there's a harvest moon, you know, and it's going to be the, the last one for 30 years or whatever. Uh, but it seems like there's always one of these that are sort of coming up, you know. And um, so I was just sort of playing a little bit with that uh, kind of jokey concept of a notable moon, but also maybe offering that as sort of a metaphor for poetry or creation, you know, you know, moon is, it's pretty cool. It's a powerful thing and, and poems can be too. So um, I think it sort of started there. And then, you know, when the wonderful folks at Quill Keepers Press were kind enough to um, decide to publish this, you know, we were talking about cover designs and I love the sort of vintage um, star chart, astrological chart um, maps that you see somewhere and i've got a, a, a really close friend who's got a couple of those on his wall and that was sort of in my head and i stand so we we're talking like wouldn't it be cool to have a cover that sort of conjured that image and that's uh, i think what we we're going for there okay no that's awesome i see what you say too with the whole um the vintage maps yes yeah, like i always think about that with the compass you need like a compass too with that yeah um, right that's yeah. what it took me back to but it's interesting right because i think in the same thing with the moons um i think about seasons right as summer fall winter and spring right yeah but i yeah. feel like life works that way too right because there's the season that you're in i like say okay there's summer right so whatever your summer is 
eventually goes into a season where it starts to transition into the fall season. So I feel like the transitional period is the part where, you know, we, we, we start to really see what's going on and what we're getting ourselves into. So um, that's the way I see life. And that's the way I think, like, but from what you talked about as well, uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting, you know? So I guess, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I love that um, about seasons. It's that's something I'm thinking about. I feel like I'm thinking about more and more and um, thinking about life in terms of seasons, as opposed to, as you were saying, just sort of this linear path. And in the past uh, few years or so, I've gotten really into gardening, uh, which is maybe not the most countercultural thing in the world. And maybe it is, I don't know. But um, never was interested in before. And then all of a sudden, like really just wanted to do it. Got really into plants and like growing vegetables and stuff. But, you know, you get into that and you get really in tune to the seasons in a way that at least I never was before. You right. Know? You're like aware of what's happening in the garden now and that's going to pass and what's going to happen next and it feels really centering uh, and um, I mean, I'm not sure how that informs my poetry or if it does or not maybe it does but I don't know it's definitely a different way of looking at the world it is no, I was trying to absorb everything you said I love that what you said about the gardening so um what made you want to get into gardening? Because that's very pretty interesting, honestly. You know, Andy, I think I turned 40 one day and something happened to my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like, I want to do this. And I get really, like, I was not like an outdoorsy person ever. I'm still not exactly, I don't think. Like, I was like an indoors kid, like, afraid of, like, bugs and, you know, the outside and whatever. But, um all of a sudden it really appealed to me. And then I got really into this whole like gardening for wildlife, gardening for nature, you know, cultivating native plants because that supports the local bees and butterflies. And that's become, that's like a whole thing. And I'm just, you know, on the tail end of it. Um, but, uh, but I love all that. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a little space where you can do some gardening, I do feel like you've got this responsibility to do it in a way that is going to be good for the earth and for the environment. You know, we humans have done so many horrible things for the earth and there's so much repair work to do. So just doing a little bit, you know, uh, feels really important um, and meaningful. And so, and I, and I love that it is, it feels creative. It feels, it's physical. Um, and it's the one thing I can do that just sort of takes me out of my head. You know, wow. So, um, it's been good. I, it's a good thing for me. Yeah. No, that's awesome with the gardening. Yeah. Because, you know, so like I, I have a backyard, but like, like I know I always been interested with the whole planting thing, how that works and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, cause you know, we were talking about seasons. We were talking about the moons. We talked about, you know, how you see life. And, and we was also talking about, you know, like the whole gardening thing. And I think when you put it in a life, like metaphorically too, you know, I feel like, like for example, perfect example, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about, you know, how sometimes certain things have to change for certain seasons. And I think in that same way with crops, right? Like when you plant, let's say seeds for like watermelon, um, sometimes watermelon, like when it hits winter time, I know that's not the season for it, or I think strawberries is another one too. And I think in that same way, 
certain certain crops only are good for that particular season because when it's out of season then it's not gonna sell i guess yeah. if that makes sense so i think in that same way life also works like that as well um i like that and you can't force it you know yes like, it, 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 <laughs> that that combination like it it's not it doesn't have to be a big mystery and um somebody uh, something i read about gardening you know somebody said you know you put a plant in the ground probably gonna grow it's probably gonna be okay you know but it's got to have the light and the water and the nutrients and you can't force it and, and nature always wins nature always yeah wins. yeah and that's kind of nice you know like it, it makes you feel small or maybe not small but it gives you sort of a little perspective about your place in the universe which i think is healthy i think it's something else i like about it Okay. And do you find yourself um, like having reflective moments while you're gardening, let's say, for example? I find myself not thinking. And oh, that's, okay. that's, what, that's what I like about it. It's one of the few things that I do, at least in my life, where I'm just doing, you know, and it's clearing out some shrub that you don't want it there, or it's digging holes and planting plants, or it's just weeding which sometimes is tedious and sometimes it's just great because you just feel like you're doing something. And when it's over, you can look back and say, like, yeah, that looks good now, you know? Um, and it's, you know, I don't listen to music. I don't listen to books or anything. I'm just outside and I love it. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a moment to just, to just be. And that's, that's a good thing for me. Awesome, awesome. So why don't we hear something from you right now as far as from your book, um, Notable Moons? Yeah, let's do it. Um, how about, uh, I don't have any great gardening poems. That would be a good segue. So I'm sorry about that, but hey, that's, that's okay. Cool. That's okay. Um, why don't we start with, or I can, I can read the first poem in the collection. It's called Bed of Reeds. Sounds good. I'll read that bed of reeds. You came into this world the same way we all did, on the banks of an enormous freshwater lake. Your father somewhere off in the brush, searching for this herb or that, for the ceremonial burning, deaf to the calls of the midwives, the seven midwives, announcing that the moment drew near, crowded around your mother, seated on a bed of reeds, eyes fixed on the horizon on a boat a rock a lone cloud wow yeah you gotta talk to me about this i love that like the choice of words for this piece i love that like the part where it says um your father's somewhere off in the brushes and then you talk about <laughs> the seven midwives announcing that the moment drew near can you talk to me about that that is very intriguing lines right there I think what I was trying to have a little fun with in the poem is, uh, you know, we all feel like we are individuals and that's a very Western culture kind of thing. I think to emphasize individuality over the group or the community. Um, but on another, in another sense or another level, we've got so much in common and our, and our stories are so similar you know, in, in, in a way. So I, uh, kind of, it's always hard for me to say after the fact, what I was sort of thinking or trying to accomplish with a poem, but I, I think here, 
I was trying to toggle back and forth between those two ideas. Like, oh yeah, you were born the same way everybody was, like in this like screwball way no one's ever heard of before, you know? Mm. Uh, and just kind of having fun with those two ideas. No, no, that makes sense. I, I love that. I love that. And um, see, because I'm trying to think too, right? Because I think about midwives, like... It's interesting, the seven midwives, like, where did that come from? Like, that just came out of your head, that just came out like that? Or is that is that a reference to something? Not a reference. You know, I think um, it's, it's good, at least in some poems. Well, you know, some poems, I think you want every line to kind of have a surprise to it. Uh, but then some poems, every all the lines are building up into one sort of aha. You know, gotcha. more like a structure. Um, this one, I think, was more where, you know, I wanted, every, I wanted every line to have a bit of a chuckle or a bit of a surprise to it. So, seven midwives, uh, that's a lot. You know, that's, yeah. that's probably more than you need. <laughs> who knows? Maybe sometimes you, you got that. I don't know. Awesome, awesome. No, that, that's again, that's fascinating to hear all that stuff for sure. Um, I know, um, from my understanding, I know you have also um traveled a lot. You said I remember you talked about that. Um, so my understanding, I know you traveled to Ohio, Virginia, Washington D.C., New York, Georgia. Um, I wanted to ask you the differences between each place that you lived in right because i noticed culture is usually different and stuff like that and maybe vibe is usually different um how did that look like for you when you were traveling from one place to the other yeah i was born outside cleveland ohio um and when i was eight my family moved to richmond virginia uh and so i was just a kid but that was definitely a big cultural shift for me uh in part because as an eight-year-old, you just sort of, or I always assume, like, oh, I'll just live here forever because this is where we're from. We're from Ohio, you know. Um, so just to move it all was was big. And um, I think because it was a different culture, Virginia never quite felt like home the way uh, Ohio did. But, you know, went to school there, lived in D.C. for a couple of years. Uh, my wife and I were together at that point. And you know, we both just loved New York. Uh, having visited there a couple times, New York City, uh, there wasn't a lot keeping us in Washington, D.C. at that point in our lives. So we moved to the city, uh, first to Brooklyn and then into Manhattan and then back to Brooklyn and lived in the city for 13 years and just absolutely loved it. Once again, you know, thought, oh, I'll never leave this place. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've always or at least for a while, I've had this orientation of kind of always looking forward as opposed to looking back and and maybe having some FOMO as well. And so love city life, but then was working kind of stressful jobs, sort of high pressure. Um, that was a lot. And then just started to think, well, maybe there's, I don't know, there's another way to live that's not so stressful, but just as meaningful and enjoyable. We wound up moving to Athens, Georgia. Uh, my wife is from Georgia, her family's, a lot of her family's still there. So it was appealing to be closer to them, but it was just also appealing to have a very different lifestyle, at least for a while. And Athens is a wonderful, wonderful uh, city and met so many great friends there and, and still have great friends there. Lived there for five years and change. Once again, thought, well, this will be where we are. But, you know, I don't know. At that point, we had New York in our blood. Missed it. New York still felt like home after living in the city for 13 years. Um, you know, thought about sort of long-term 
What's it going to be like for us? What's it going to be like for our kids? And wound up moving back to uh, the New York area eh, not quite four years ago. Um, and now we're just outside the city. So, yeah, I have moved around a bit. Um, not sure where that comes from or, or why that's sort of shaken out that way other than sort of uh, I've always been thinking about, well, what else is out there and, and could, could life look differently? And, and my wife and I together just always sort of betting on ourselves and taking that chance together, even if we didn't have the situation in the next place totally lined up and totally figured out. We've always sort of said to ourselves, well, we'll, we'll figure it out because we trust each other and we trust ourselves. So uh, dancing through the raindrops so far, so far so good. Um, it's, it's all more or less worked out and that's, and here we are, here we are. Wow, no, that's amazing. The whole betting on yourself. And that's really what it was for me and my wife as well, actually, because, you know, I've had people tell me, oh, well, you can't think a certain way or you can't do this, can't do that. And I, I'd like to think that, hey, I think we've proven a lot of people wrong. You know, we've been together yeah. for seven years, but we've been married for five going on six now. So it's uh -huh. um, the whole betting on ourselves. Yeah, because you know what it's too. Um, I, me and my wife look at it. OK, we're going to take a leap of faith, see yeah. what happens and then see where it goes. And if it's meant like if 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 it's allowed, you know, if God allows it, then, you know, what? good. And I guess we're in the right place. If not, then he'll just prevent every obstacle possible. Not because he doesn't want us to have certain things. I, I look at it as like or like, say, in some places, some people say the universe, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. If it, if it doesn't happen, maybe because it's not meant to be. Not that it's anything bad, but it's just more like. It's it's just to because you don't know what life is protecting us from. They say, you know. So yeah. I, I think it's a special thing what you're describing when you've got a partner who you can take that leap of faith with, you know, and really commit to doing it together. I know I feel really really lucky um, that I found someone like that, and it sounds like you're lucky too. So that's great. Yeah, I'm incredibly, I always say this, like, I feel like my wife's the reason I do the things I do, I <laughs> guess. Um, it's interesting because this, this platform, Unrivaled Influence, wasn't always, you know, I went through a lot of rebranding and I struggled a lot with this platform, this podcast, because I felt like this is something I always wanted to do. This is something I've I've always felt like I've been called to do, but I just didn't know exactly how to get there. And 2022, I was on a little hiatus. And when 2023 came about, you know, um, I really didn't know where my life was going. And my wife's like, you know, this year alone, I hope you, I, I'm expecting you to bring your podcast back. Um, something uh -huh. tells me that this is going to be better this time around. I'm like, I guess, you know, <laughs> I, I'm like, okay. And it's so interesting. Um, I, I wish my um, co-host could have been here, but like she, she had like a lot of school stuff she had to take care of because she is a teacher, so she had stuff to take care of. Sorry, Angela. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and it's so interesting. So my platform, right? Okay. So on Instagram, um, the the page has been through a lot. So it was my poetry page again. And I guess from all the stuff the page has been through, I didn't realize that I was following a lot of people or people were following me. They didn't think anything of it. I saw this one post and it was from Angela. And that one post actually changed the trajectory of the re pretty much the rest of this year and the entire my entire life because it's like, 
Okay, I don't know what it was. Um, it's funny because I had another partner originally, but that didn't work out. And it was like, oh, it's the story of my life again. Somebody, you know, it just wasn't going to work out. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I had this one episode with Angela, and it was the first episode under the Unraveled Influence name. And that, and she was just a guest. She was just a guest. And it was something about that interview that, I was just thinking, you know what? Something kept telling me, hey, reach out to her, reach out to her. I'm like, she don't think I'm a creep. I, I, I don't know her yeah. like that, but let's see what happens. And it's interesting how this happened back in January. It's now pretty much September. And it's, um, I can't believe it that now here we are. Like, wow, this, this one post made a gigantic impact, but had my wife not pushed me hey restart this podcast i don't know if i would have met angela and everybody else i've met afterwards you know um and it's funny because was uh if there was one person i kind of have to give credit to for always believing in me you know i mean my wife is always number one right but there was somebody else and that was stephanie lamb um who's also the creator yes. of um quote was pressed um yes, the best she's yes. the best and um, I, I I always look at her someone like a, some sort of a, like a mentor. Like I always tell her this because I learned so much from her. I understand the business aspect of life through her. But like whenever I didn't understand something, like she would always give me advice. And um, but it's the whole like she was one of those like she's definitely one of my supporters. And I feel like I can't talk about that if I don't talk about my wife or stephanie lamb or even my father um because my dad um he you know he's the main reason i started writing poetry in the first place and when he passed away in 2018 um it just became this bigger thing but i didn't know how craziness this was gonna be but like i was saying before um i definitely have to give a shout out to stephanie lamb because she was one of our she was definitely one of our supporters of this platform from day one and I really appreciate that. And I, I appreciate what she does for you guys who's providing that service to publish your words and get your words out there and traditional publishing and stuff like that. So I, I have to put that out there, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, creative creative people need those supporters and, and partners in their life to, to give them that boost sometimes, you know? I think we think about creative people as... Uh, there's these lone individuals and they go into their dark room and they create these they make incredible things and come out and show it with the world but of course it doesn't work that way at all you know like everyone's a part of a community and, and so many creative projects are actually group projects you know in some form or it's that really important person in your life who maybe it's like a life partner or maybe it's somebody who just comes in you know at some stage like you're describing and, and like gives you that that boost to get going you know and it, it just changes your perspective on something so um that's cool and i love to hear a good social media story too about um uh, a connection like that there's so many horrible social media stories so that's a that's a really good one so we'll lift that up yes it is interesting too because i remember like like growing up especially like i've always heard the nightmares of oh catfish catfish and then there's this show that came on mtv and it's good to know that even in that community it's like wow like how something 
Like, like what? I, I, I don't think poetry's dead. I think poetry's been distorted and is reviving itself little by little, especially this year around. Um, I feel like, you know, how something like that could bring people together, for better or for worse, I guess, lack of a better term. <laughs> and it's like, um, it brings people together in a sense where, okay, we can share our brokenness and be vulnerable together. And I feel like that takes that takes a lot. For someone to do that um yeah it's changing the genre is you know it's changing and that's okay like it it's not popular like it was at least in this country um 100 years ago or so i mean you read stories about the the preeminent poets of their day like t.s Eliot, like giving a reading and like literally selling out a stadium somewhere you yeah know, or just like everybody had the book you know even folks who were not poets themselves or thought of themselves as literary, that's totally changed. That may not ever come back, but but mediums have changed. Like there's so many different avenues now for creative people yes. to express themselves. And there were, those options were limited a hundred years ago. And now there's so many options, whether we're talking about, you know, tech of any sort of any kind or just different genres yeah. or whatever and like that's that's fine like that's cool you know now it's songwriting or now it's you know something on a tech platform or or whatever because it's so much more accessible and that's great and you know so poetry is in a different place than it was before it, it'll change again and uh you know i think our our job not my own job responsibility role as poets is to kind of roll with that you know and not just it's so easy to be defensive you know, because they're used to some a way something used to be, and think like, oh, that's all, that was always the best way. We've got to preserve that forever. No, right, everything's always right. changing. Everything yeah. is always changing. Change with it, and you know, we'll all, we'll all be stronger. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I love how you said that. That's wow. That is wow. I love how you said that. I really love how you said that. And it's true. Um, I feel like. Um, something's become something, but everything has to change eventually. And I, I, I like to think it would like to change for the better, you know. And it's true what you said. No one, you don't see a lot of stadium places where people read poetry anymore. No. Even though I like my main goal. Like one thing I said about this platform. I mean, I want to expand outside of just social media, which um. I have announced that, you know, on October 20th, we're going to have our first person in-person open mic in Bayonne, New Jersey. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, everyone's invited, you know, place is free, just reserve a spot and, you know, we'll make it work. But it's the whole, the, the, the whole thing about it is um, in Bayonne, I was doing research with my wife and my wife's been, again, a, a big part of what I'm doing with Unrivaled Influence is that she, you know, she did research. She said, hey, um, let's see if there's any open mics available in, in Bayonne. And it looks like there's none, but it seems to be a very high demand. And mm -hmm. I always wonder why there isn't no art in Bayonne, which is so weird because Bayonne is a very interesting uh, part of Jersey. Um, there's this saying, if it's in Bayonne, leave it alone. Like, I never really understood that, but I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, I like the area. Um, you know, every like every place you go to, there's always a place that's not that cool. That's just how it is. But, um... Sounds like a good place for art to happen. I don't know Bayonne very well, uh, yeah. to be honest. But uh, if people are putting it down, then 
it sounds like that's the place for exactly you know, artists to, to lift it up. So, so yeah, sounds like you're in the right place. So my myself and Angela are um, capitalizing. I said I told my wife. I said, babe, I gotta capitalize on this. I'll be stupid <laughs> if I did not jump on this. Went to this bar called Shorties. They do karaoke. They have pool leagues and stuff like that. I said, hey. Uh, how do you guys feel about an open mic? And I kind of gave them a breakdown of what we do, and they were like, "Let's do it." And I like, and it goes back to what you said about betting on ourselves. I'm like, okay, um, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna take, I'm gonna bet on myself. I'm gonna bet on this thing, and I'm gonna, we're gonna do it. Let's see how it happens, and hopefully, if it goes good, we could do more of these. But um, this is the beginning, so it's one of those back to what we talked about earlier about seasons. How we're in that season that, that, that okay, where we're kind of getting out of, um, not not getting out of. Let me say that we're we're transitioning into an outside aspect of poetry. And who I, I don't know. I like to be hopeful and think that maybe one day we could have some kind of poetry revival of some sort. Um, but which leads to the question because I've asked this question a lot. I've had episodes about this question. And the question is, do you think poetry's dead? Do you think it's dying or do you think it's distorted? Why, why not? And there's no wrong or right answer here. I don't think it's dying at all. I think poetry will always find its place in part because it is so accessible um, and it's so weird. You know, it's, it's kind of like, what is it? It's not a story. It's not visual. It's just this sort of magic for lack of a better word combination of words that create this thing and it doesn't quite fit into any other sort of genre category and it speaks to people and there's this there's this there's magic to it you know i sometimes i i think novelists and or poets they're sort of the closest thing we have to true magicians today because they conjure these worlds just by mm. speaking words you know like casting a spell almost okay and it's um i don't know it's transfixing um it takes people places and i think poetry kind of fills some vacuums you know in our our society and our in our creative society um and and always there's always people who respond to it so it's not filling stadiums right now and your neighbor may not pull out his or her, you know, dog-eared copy of the Wastelander Leaves of Grass or something. Um, but it, it finds its home and, you know, I've, I have no doubt that it will persist. I agree. Wow. I love that. I love, that's very well put. I have to say, um, it's interesting too because back in the day too, um, you would see Allen Ginsberg on like the Letterman show or something like that. Yeah, like, you right? would see people like that. Now you don't really see yeah, much. Yeah, you'd be like on the William Buckley like crossfire, like political debates, and I there there is something lost there. I, I don't know, um, and and now maybe I'm being defensive about the old ways, but uh, hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I do. I wonder if uh, we've sort of lost something with artists um, being more part of that cultural, political, social conversation um, in a way uh, a generation or two ago, whereas now everything is a little more niche, a little more siloed, 
you know, the artists are doing this thing, the politicians are doing this thing. I could probably argue that both ways, but yeah, I do think about Allen Ginsberg being on, you know, network talk shows mm. 50 years ago. And I'm trying to think what is, um, you know, the corollary to that now, I guess a generation ago, Maya Angelou had that status and that standing. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I think about, you know, Amanda Gorman definitely became part of the cultural conversation in an awesome way. I think after her inaugural poem. Um, so yeah, yeah. Thinking further, maybe there's some of that today, but, um, yeah, it's, it's cool. when when you can bring different people together for those kinds of conversations, cause I think it, it goes different places. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, when it comes to poetry, I think, um, I don't think it's dying. I don't think it's dead. I don't even think it's lost. I think it's just, I, I wouldn't say it's distorted. Rather, I think the direction it's, I don't want to say it's misleading. It's more like the direction is not where I, I, I maybe this is my opinion, but uh, I don't think it's where it needs to be. I guess um, it's in a good, it's not in a bad place, but it's not a good place either. But it's not. But I think it's in an okay place because social media, I feel like, definitely made a difference with that. Because before Instagram, there was um, Tumblr. That's where poetry started to get kind of a a, a boost a little bit back in 2011, 2012. But then for whatever reason, it kind of okay. Uh, that was it. And then Instagram came, and I think once the lives started to happen and people started posting stuff, I think that's when it got very interesting. So I'm going to say poetry is interesting in this season of this life, I guess, because... Yeah, do you, I, I'm sorry, I was, I was going to ask you, ask you something. Do you think poetry is more a performance art? today than it was in generations past. Mm, wow, that's good. That's actually pretty good. Um, wow, that's a very good question. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, only because I know I see these platforms like Voices in Power, um, and then there's another one called um, the New York Reeking Cafe. They do stuff, um, Bowery Poetry. Like There's those places um, that like they they do events like mostly new york or like like voices of power more like they go to london and stuff like that too. so they're, they're a little bit more bigger than us obviously but um i notice um when you say poetry is very interesting now with the word itself because if you see someone that does poetry but doesn't have a piece of paper on them they don't because they, they consider that more a spoken word rather than uh, a poem they'll say oh this is a piece i'm gonna read but it, it, it's a spoken word piece it's not a poetry piece like that's something i've noticed about social media and that instagram community that i've been in since 2018 when you say poetry it's not a generalized thing i think yeah that's interesting because i think there was a time when like memorizing poems was pretty common, even part of like grade school. And then yeah. you think way, way back, uh, you know, Homer didn't have a piece of paper. Uh, it was it was all right. oral history and oral tradition, but certainly poetry, epic poetry. Um, and now today, like if you ask me to 
recite a poem? I'm not sure I could think of one that I've really memorized other than some Robert Frost from like the sixth grade or something that still stuck mm. with me over all these years. Okay. Um, so it's, yeah, it's odd to think of someone's performing spoken word that that some, somebody might look at that and say, well, that's not poetry because where's the writing or where's it written down? But yeah, you know, mm. for centuries, there was this oral tradition of, of poetry, which again, like I, I'm not practicing right now. And um, yeah, it's interesting to think about how that's sort of ebbed and flowed or changed. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, that's very interesting, like you said, too, because I feel like with, with poetry or spoken word, it's like I think about it with music, right? Because there's pop music, but then there's country pop. Then there's alternative rock pop, pop rock, like this, all this stuff. And I'm just like, they sound kind of similar, but they're not if that makes sense. They're not the same, but they're similar. And I feel like um, it's interesting because when I was, um, I don't want to say when I was uh, when I was growing up, but rather when I was maybe like, like in high school going to college, I was told that memorizing poems makes the pieces more authentic rather than just reading it from a paper because mm -hmm. people don't get the actual emotion in opposed to when you're... Um, See, because if you're memorizing a piece, but then they say, oh, well, reciting poetry and then memorizing a poem are two different things, then there's that aspect. Um, I, I remember back in college, there was like a whole a debate thing about that. But like, oh, no, you're not a real spoken word artist if you have to read from a paper. Like, there's that. But then, oh, if you, re if you recited a piece from a paper, um, then you're not really a poet. Like, there was this whole thing. Um... Hmm. So I, I find always be skeptical of those purity tests. I think. Wait, say that again. What? Well, I always try to be skeptical of those kinds of purity tests. Like you yeah. got to do it this way, you got to do it that way. It's funny that you mentioned the Neorican. I read there once, um, many, many, many years ago, uh, when I was a lot younger. And what I remember, it was an awesome, awesome experience. And I remember I read a poem. I did have a piece of paper in my hand. I was reading it. I had not memorized it. And uh, this was like the late 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was a poem about Joe Camel, which is mm -hmm. that cartoon, you know, spokesperson for Camel cigarettes. Wow. And I think they had just, you know, decided they had to get rid of that um uh, logo or whatever, because obviously it was just marketing towards young people and terrible and everything about tobacco mm. industry is terrible. We all know that now. Um, but, you know, it was just like, I think it was even called Elegy for Joe Camel. And I, it must have been just the world's worst poem ever. But the people at the New Yorker were so incredibly welcoming and so supportive. And uh, that was a, it was a once in a lifetime wonderful experience. Wow. I know recently I found out there's, I think they're going to go for renovation for three years, actually. I, I don't yeah, know I was when. just Googling it while we were talking. And if there's a, uh, yeah, big renovation project. Um, so, hey, everybody pitch in and help the New Yorican. Uh, yeah. That's a special place. Uh, that's, that's, all, yeah. that's all do our part. Word. No, but that's always been a special place in my heart, too, because I, I've, I've said this to Angela as well. I've said this to many people. I feel like out of all, I mean, I definitely want to start doing open mics, like like to perform in an open mic. Uh, see, that's what I say. Am I going to read? A, am I reading or am I performing? So I, I, that's a very interesting thing, too. Um, 
But either way, like, I, I don't mind going to different places to start doing that. Because that's why I figured, hey, I could start with my thing on October um, 20th. But then now I know people within the community, they, they do, they have their own platforms. They do their open mics. So virtually it's been great. But now it's like, okay, can I go out there? And do that, but my bucket list has always been the New York Cafe. At least before I die, I feel like I have to go there. Got to do once. it. Got to do it. And you know, the other thing I remember about that night, I read with a couple of friends, and one of my friends was a, a much more formal and, frankly, a lot better uh, poet uh, with like really intricate stanzas and rhymes and, and 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 imagery, and like he's just a fantastic poet. And so. Um, and so he read, I think he made it to like the finals because it was like a competition and like he was one of the finalists. And so a couple of other finalists were, you know, more performative, dramatic, incredible stage presence, you know, and my friend, um, you know, less stage presence, but like a, a beautiful and very formal, you know, poem. And, and he read, and I remember somebody called out, don't pick the poet, like don't pick this guy, like as the winner, which was like joke and everybody laughed. You know, but there was that like tension in the room between like this guy doing this more sort of like conventional traditional poetry thing versus the folks doing more of a what you might call spoken word kind of thing. But, uh, you know, all of the above is poetry, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, 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 I this this argument. I, I, well, not. Yeah. I guess you could say like an argument or there's this idea, I guess that poetry comes in different shapes and forms. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think it, it comes a lot in music. So, like, I think we've kind of answered the question, too. Even in music, there's poetry in it, you know? Um, so I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, because uh, we, we, I noticed we were talking a lot about structural formats and stuff like that when it comes to poetry. And I feel like, you know, like you said, oh, like, there's this standard. We have to write a certain way or, or, or structure it a certain way. And I noticed um, Allen Ginsberg was the exact opposite of a lot of his pieces was comma, 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 commas, but he was yeah. telling a story. And because um, I was always told in high school, oh, well, you know, when you write poetry, it has to be a stanza, stanza, stanza. And for a long time, I would write like that. But then there's been times where I'm like, I don't want to write like that. But then I wouldn't release a piece or I wouldn't present the piece unless it was structured in the stanza but then i feel like if it has to be in a stanza i feel like you're limiting yourself to an idea of expansion when it comes yeah. to what your thoughts might be so I, I just wanted your opinion on that honestly i think it all works you know i've never had a lot of success or felt like i've written anything i felt great about that rhymed or had, was in pentameter uh you know i used to take a shot at Villanelles and Sestinas, and it's, it's you know it's fun to experiment with that. Can't say I wrote a lot of those that I felt really proud of. Um, for me, I do I do like to pay attention to the line and take the line breaks very seriously. And I'm always mm -hmm. thinking about breaths and how would I read it, you know. And I I try not to ever break the line just any old place, but thinking about if I'm reading it, where am I breathing? Is the pause meaningful for the poem? Um, and so that is a structure that's important for me. Sometimes I write in stanzas. It's, you know, they're all four line stanzas. Sometimes I don't. Um, I think there's a tension there. Uh, in a weird way, that structure can be 
um, empowering sometimes because you've sort of adopt these restrictions and it's, you've got to do four lines in this dance or you've got to do 10 beats or whatever. And that restriction can force you to a new place that you would not have gone to otherwise. Mm, and sometimes yeah. that's cool. And sometimes it's the heck with all that, that is limiting me. And I'm just going to write on the page, you know, however feels right. I also like to write prose poems. There's not any in the Notable Moons book, but I love, you know, certain prose poets and like, what is that? Like that is, is it a poem? Is it a story? It's, they're often surreal or just uncategorizable. And that it feels very, very like liberating, you know, uh, to use that format. So, um, I don't know. I think there's, there's pros and cons, uh, uh, whatever way you attack that. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. Um, so why don't, why don't we hear another piece from your book right now? All right, let's do it. Um, I read the first poem in the collection. Now I'll read the last one, just for fun. Uh, it's called The Mountain. You decided to leave everything behind for a bit and hike the mountain. And so did everyone else. You were shoulder to shoulder on the trail. Your, your view blocked by a man with a child in his backpack. You stopped at a stop where they were selling t-shirts canteens, and playing cards depicting the mountain. You bought a t-shirt and a coffee and sat down next to a fellow hiker. We live in primitive times, he said, and he had that faraway look in his eyes. Wow, I love that. Talk to me about this piece. That's awesome. I love the wording with that one. Um, yeah, it's funny, we were chatting for a minute the other day and um, you know, I, we're talking about how sometimes the the poem is smarter than the poet. And I always think that's true. The, the poem's going someplace that the poet may not even realize or intend. But, you know, what I think I was up to here, if I was up to anything, is that um, experience I think we've all had. You try to, like, manufacture some like, really special experience. Like, oh, I'm going to go on this hike today, and there's going to be this beautiful view, and it's going to be just me and nature. And then you go there and it's just like throngs of people and it's the most commercial and lame experience, you know, you could, you could possibly imagine, but somewhere in there, you find a little moment of something special or a little moment of serenity. So, um, I think that's what, what was going on there, if anything. No, oh, that's awesome. And uh, it's funny because when you were reading, um, because I, I have the physical book myself, so I was reading along with what you were reading. And um, I feel like I, I envisioned myself as the person climbing the mountain. And then I okay. see people with the canteens, like, okay, why are they <laughs> up here? Like, that's, okay. see, the thought that's going to my why mind. Why are all was, these people here? Yeah. I'm like, we're supposed to be just hiking and climbing we're enjoying like why are you in this one because i i you know what's funny because i'm thinking a situation like it's in a weird spot and i'm like why if you why are you doing it there when yeah. you should be doing it at better ground level what the hell is going on here <laughs> yeah one of my uh, uh, favorite poets of all time was charles simic and he was awesome and he just passed away in the past year and um, got to meet him a couple of times. Great guy. Um, wrote, wrote a lot of prose poems, also, you know, surrealist lyrical poems. And I, I feel like a subtext of a lot of his poems was 
know, we are all idiots at the end of the day. We all think we're so special and doing special things. Um, and we're one of a kind and we're individuals, but you know, guess what? <laughs> you know, we all have our moments where we look ridiculous. Not that that's like the final word in anybody, but just sort of like a counterpoint to, you know, our sort of base state of thinking a lot of ourselves. And I think that's often the joke, you know, in his poems. Um, and I love that. And I always think it's so funny and, and probably aspire to do stuff like that myself sometimes in my own writing. Right. No, no, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And um, yeah, no, awesome. Awesome. And I wanted to ask you, because I know that's not the only book you have. Uh, you have another book called, I, 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 maybe I might pronounce this wrong. It's called Pogles. Is that what that's Pogles. called? Pogles. Uh, uh, a book that was, uh, I wrote with my very best friend and writing partner, um, Justin Hendricks. And Justin really gets the credit for the um the idea behind pogles this was in the i don't know if it was the early days of the internet but the earlier days of the internet mm. and uh justin started playing around with you know just putting a phrase in google and seeing what the search results were and then taking all those search results and um and cobbling together or cutting up you know and reassembling into a poem and very much thinking we talked about be poets earlier thinking about william burroughs cut up poems where he would literally take like the newspaper and put it on the piece of uh, like on a table and cut up with like an exacto knife lines and sentences and words and then rearrange them to create this sort of found poem he called them a cut up poem mm. and that's what justin was up to um in creating these pogles which was just poem plus google together we sort of made this word and we each wrote a bunch and um and put them together in that collection. And it's funny now I, I look at it and I can't even remember which ones, for some of them I wrote and which ones Justin wrote. And we, I think we probably edited them together. Mm. But you know, it was, it, was a, it was a really fun and interesting way to approach, you know, poetry, but also interact like what was going on with, you know, Google and just this new world of, you know, all information and all of human history being at your fingertips, you know, and being able to access that and turn it into a work of art. That seems like intense work too. Like Google, like whoever created this. And that was fun. Like... It was fun. It was fun. And, uh, you know, it, uh, fortunately Google hasn't found out about it and they haven't sued us yet. So that's good. So it's been a good run, um, so far. <laughs> um, but you know, it's all done with a great affection and, and love for the Google platform. So I'm sure, you know, if they wanted to reach out or perhaps promote the book, we could work something out. Eh. Right? Why not? Hey, Why possibilities not? Are get endless. paid. Get hey, paid. Right. Yeah. One day we'll all get paid for this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's no, that's cool though, man. Like they, they talk to me about the collaboration aspect because I know it's okay. Like I always hear the horror stories of creative minds getting together, and sometimes if you don't agree on something, it's like this whole thing. Um, in your experience, how was that? I guess, like you said, you said, I know you said I was your best friend, so maybe, maybe that's not what the case was for you, but what was that like collaborating, sitting down with Justin and saying, hey, let's, let's do like, what well, like who came up with the idea in the first place? And then what majors do you guys decide? Okay, let's get this done. What is that? What was that like for you guys? It was all Justin's idea, and I was just, you know, drafting behind his genius uh, with the with the Pogles project. But, um, you know, Justin uh, is my best friend. He's a writing partner as well. We still write together. 
And, um, you know, I, I don't remember a lot of like sitting down together and hashing it out, but, you know, it was a, it was a time when we were already leading busy lives. And uh, so I think probably a lot of what we wrote, we were writing online and just trading, you know, emails or whatever platform we were using at the time. Uh, and uh, it's a, it was like a way to connect. Like it was, it was a way to be creative and to write together, but also, you know, a way to do something together with, you know, one of the most important people in my life. So it was a wonderful project and we still, we, we still write together. And in fact, I owe a lot of notable moons to Justin because, you know, I got to go through periods in my life where work is busy and family's busy and everything's busy and I'm not writing a lot. And then Justin will reach out and say, hey, let's write a poem a day for the next week. Oh, you know, wow. The next two weeks, like, let's just do it. And here's a topic and it could be some random thing. And, um, you know, I was, I was, we were doing that when I was writing a lot of what wound up in Notable Moons. And we talked earlier in the conversation about having those people in your life, you know, who will support you and give you that kick, you know, that boost, you know, when, um, as a, uh, when, you, when you're trying to work on something creative. And, you know, my wife has been that person for me and Justin's been another person for me. And um, it's, and the other thing about that, which I think is really cool is when you're writing for one other person, like at least immediately before it goes out to the broader world, like you really want to impress them, you know? Mm. You want to show them like, hey, look what I got. See if you can do better than this. Wow. And there's this, this sort of good natured one-upsmanship about it, mm. which I think if the relationship is strong, it can be a really healthy and really good thing. So that's, that's a fun part of the process too, I think for both of us. No doubt, no doubt. And that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all that. That is, wow. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that. So um, we are pretty much almost towards the end. Um, I always ask everybody this. So, if in all right, hold on. I'm, I'm sorry. I kind of blanked out for a second. <laughs> you good. Uh, so um, when you pass on, you know, we're, we're all not here anymore. What legacy or what impact do you hope to leave behind? That oh, way? gosh, Andy, that's deep. I, I didn't know you were going there. Wow. No, and, and what, like, what would, like, when people say Dave Gutton, what's the one thing that you want people to remember you by? Whew. Yikes. Yeah, I do um, this to everybody. I know that I always throw them off. Hey, but that's a good way to end conversations, you know, but that's perfect, you know? Yeah, the ending with a capital E, the big <laughs> ending. Uh, <laughs> um, I hope, not for everybody, but um, for my family who think about me after I pass away, I hope they think, well, he was a good dad and he was a good husband and or, or tried his best to be. Um, and then for, for, you know, if other people ever think about me, uh, gosh, you know, I just hope they think I was, he was a good guy and not a jerk. Um, and I'm not sure I'm going to bat a thousand on that, but hopefully, you know, wind up with a good percentage. Uh, but thinking specifically about poetry, I don't think I've got an aspiration for folks to think, well, that guy was an awesome poet. He was one of the best, you know. Um, but I hope folks who know me think, he was a guy who took poetry seriously and took art seriously and really tried to make that part of his life. Uh, and if anybody thinks that, then great. That would be awesome. Wow. No, I love that. That is awesome. And that's perfect. Um, so, Dave, thank you so much for 
doing this with me. Uh, thank you for saying yes to this episode. And no, um, thank you, Andy. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for you for doing this for the platform. Hey, October 20th, Bayonne, right? October 20th. I got yes. it right. Open yes. mic, October yes. 20th, Bayonne, New Jersey. That's yes. what's going on. Mm, Dave, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, Andy. Good night. And, you too. Uh, it's been a pleasure. No doubt.